Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to part three of our three-part interview. This is like our big uh, conclusion to the trilogy, Return of the Jedi. We're going to have a big epic uh, LGBTQ health uh, space battle towards the end here. Um, but we have Anthony Foe, who has been with us now for um, for these three episodes. Anthony is at Stanford University, and they are the LGBTQ community engagement partner of the All of Us Research Program. We are also being joined by some folks from our LGBTQ centers that are working on this effort. Um, and I'm gonna pass it over to Kim Fountain at the Center on Halstead, who is going to be asking Anthony our next question. Thank you so much. And Anthony, I think I could just listen to you all day. This is fascinating. Thank you so much. That's very kind, thank you. Uh, so currently the Affordable Care Act bans insurers from discriminating against people with pre-existing conditions, right? But as a community, LGBTQ folks have seen our rights taken away, not only by the people we didn't trust, but also by people we've really trusted, right? So there's some concern there that maybe if these protections given by the Affordable Care Act ever went away, that maybe genetic testing, even the DNA kits that you know you might see online, you know, for our ancestry stuff, right? That they could be used against the community by you know denying benefits or charging more for people with genetic risks. Is there any concern for you with all this? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, I'm concerned. And I think that we should all be concerned. Um, I, the first, I have to say thank goodness for the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, um, you know, and, and, and this is an inherently political podcast. So I think that like, you know, a lot of times as clinicians, we try not to interject our, our politics into it. I think my politics are very clear. Uh, the third party payer system, we should have an entire podcast that's devoted to queer folks and the third party payer system and how the third party payer system works against us. And the insurance companies are just not on our sides. They're not insuring anything. They're insuring their profits is what they're doing. Um, so don't get me started on that. Um, I know that Corey could host a really amazing um, session on that. But I think that we you, you raise a valid concern. And am I concerned? I, I'm absolutely concerned. And what, where is my, my real concern? It's with lawmakers and that potential for change. We live in somewhat of a democracy. I don't know, you could argue these days, but we live in the political system that we live in with representation, but we need to represent our vote and our thoughts to our lawmakers. So, uh, what you alluded to um, or really stated is the Affordable Care Act and the elimination of exclusion based on pre-existing conditions by insurers was born out of lawmakers who were truly advocating for people um, in an, at a time in an administration that was actually had like a brain and a lot of sense, right? Um, so, but actually, if we like take a step back from that, where did that really start? It really started with folks like us, folks like you, folks in the community centers, queer folks, um, the constituents and the voters, and the fact that they stayed engaged with our representatives in Congress and let them know our minds, quite frankly. So is there a huge potential for any kind of health information to be used against us by those that would repeal the Affordable Care Act and these protections? Absolutely, we see it 
happening all the time, right? We see it even now, like there's these debates. It's crazy to me that there's these debates to repeal protections that have been for decades in place in terms of our healthcare, right? So I will say this, and I, I so appreciate your question, and I, I'm getting very, very like riled up about this because I, I do feel very, very passionate about this. This is our charge as queer people. We must educate ourselves and stay informed as to these new research technologies and research findings. We, we must basically um, stay educated and informed so that we can advocate with our lawmakers to be counted and represented in health research. Um, when administrations change, and they will, and law, lawmakers will go back to attempt to eliminate our protections, we need to be there, armed with our personal stories and narratives and a clear understanding of research, quite frankly, like all of us, to empower those who would advocate for us. Many times I've been told this, like when I've, I've done like legislative days when I was in school and gone to the Hill or gone to even my state representatives, they don't know. They actually don't know about all of us. They don't know about queer people. They don't know about these things. But what they will listen to is when I say, I am a voter in your district and this is what I am passionate about. And I want you to know something about me. I'm a queer person. You might not know what that means, but here's what my needs are and the needs of my community are. I am a queer clinician. I see this within my community. And if you do this, it's not a good thing and I'm not gonna vote for you. And quite frankly, I'm gonna go all over Twitter and take you down, right? Because, and this is quite frankly, you kind of have to put a little teeth into it, but you, we, we as queer people need to educate ourselves so that we can stay abreast of these, these things and educate our lawmakers. So am I concerned? I'm concerned absolutely every minute of the day, but where do I turn that concern into? I turn it into activism to make sure that I'm educating myself, I'm educating others, and I'm making sure that people are dialing for dollars when we have to. I hope that was a good answer for you. I think that was great. And for me, it also gives me hope because it says trust in science. Science is a very good thing. And make sure that you're protecting your own rights. I think better message can convince them. Thank you. Thank you, Kim, for your participation and your wonderful question. I think it also, you know, it's not, uh, I guess, not an either or here, you know, not are we concerned with our rights um, and therefore we shouldn't participate. It's really like both, like, yes, let's not take our eye off the ball, but also, you know, being counted and being part of the research is part of advancing that. Um, and, you know, to your point, Anthony, I think I've done a lot of work at the state level here in Massachusetts. And people really do, um, you know, in, in our state legislatures, um, they do respond to, you know, constituents or local experts, activists. Um, they always want to hear from the actual, you know, folks who are impacted. And it can make a difference in the way that, you know, it's hard to at the national uh, level with, with politics and, and just the quantity of people that they're representing, but especially, you know, at the state and local level, um, which is a lot of what our, our community centers do as well. You know, there there is um, really a, a real opportunity to to have your voice heard in that way. I think that can't be understated, Corey. I, honestly, when I was a nursing student, I was in Baltimore, so we went to like our state government in Maryland, and then we were so close to DC that they took us down to DC with this legislative day. We called our representative. We just looked and called our representatives. And I, quite frankly, was intimidated. I thought, you know, who, they're not going to talk to me. Like, who am I? I'm like this nursing student. 
And it, that it was, it couldn't be more wrong. It was completely the opposite. People were highly engaged, mm -hmm. uh, representatives listened. And it was really quite a powerful moment for me to realize that these people represent me. That's their job. And so actually it's also their job to listen to me when I am passionately telling them my opinion about something that I think affects me and my communities. So I encourage all queer people in terms of thinking about these concerns for change and the repeal of protections to stay engaged, stay informed, and please, please, please be vocal. Even if it's as simple as calling your representative's office and actually providing that, because quite frankly, there are staffers that will collect all that information they're required to, to get the ear of your representative to say, you know, we're getting a lot of calls on this. It's an important issue to these communities. And it's a very important phrase to say, it's like as a voting constituent, I, I can vote. I have the power as your constituent. That is how I start all these conversations. I think it's really, really important. And as someone who, who interned on Capitol Hill and was one of the people responsible for gathering those messages, I can say it's also it's always nice to get one that's um, not angry, you know, that's yes. actually informative <laughs> and based on facts. We had all sorts of interesting uh, comments and commentary provided. So um, if you can do it with a smile, all the more power to you. A little sugar. You always start with a little sugar. <laughs> go down for sure, for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, AOU has worked with CenterLink and other partners um, to basically bolster participation, you know, all the things that we're talking about, getting getting LGBTQ people involved um, so that we are seen and heard and counted. Um, how is it going? What can you tell us about, you know, how how this is working? Are, are LGBTQ people participating? How how are how is the program doing in that respect? I would love to give you that update. And I love it that CenterLink does this podcast. And also I love it that AOU found CenterLink such an important organization. CenterLink is actually part of PrideNet as well. So it's like a little um, love fest for us. Um, so it's like the queer folks are getting together to make things happen in the AOU um, research program. But in a word, I would say we're doing phenomenal. To say that it's going well would be quite frankly an understatement. Um, so to help everyone understand in terms of enrolling folks, the, the overall goal, again, is to enroll 1 million participants in the All of Us Research Program, okay? So, and, and as part of that, when we think about that enrollment process, and I experienced this myself when I went online and I entered my information, during enrollment, all participants in AOU are presented questions to collect their sexual orientation, gender identity, and assigned sex at birth including intersex options. This is not the first time that these types of questions have been posted on a federally sponsored research study. However, I would say that I think it's the first time that these really, quite frankly, critical, important demographic data about who we are as a community are being collected in a way that actually allows participants to more and most comprehensively express their identity using a check all that apply approach instead of a discrete category. Now that's like research talk. What I mean by that is all of a sudden, someone finally recognized that it's important to acknowledge that sexual and gender minority people, LGBTQ people have identities that are complex. 
right? So I might consider myself to be a gay man, but I also might consider myself to be a cisgender gay man. I also might consider myself to be a queer man, right? And I wanna be able to check all those boxes as opposed to just one box. The All of Us Research Program in the way that we enroll people, we are not singling out people at all. We're basically posing these questions to all folks and saying, hey, check all that apply. Tell me about yourself and tell me how, you know, let me recognize your complexity if you have a little bit of complexity in there. That is kind of unprecedented on a, sort of a federal level. So to get to your, your, your question and where I get really, really excited and with like the drum roll, drum roll, it's like, how are we doing, right? How are we doing? Um, I could, I think I can safely say now that the All of Us Research Program now has the largest number of LGBTQ identified participants in any national research study. And that number is over 42,000 LGBTQ individuals have enrolled. So in terms of the overall thinking about the study, that represents about 13% currently of the total AU participants. And I think that we're approaching, I, I know at the last numbers, we've reached approximately a third of the goal. It was like we're around 360,000 and whatever of the people that we want to roll of the million. And in terms of whole genome sequencing, we talked, this whole talk is about genomics, right? Um, you consent for whole genome sequencing as well. It's, it's about 9% um, of, of those individuals, um, of LGBTQ individuals have consented to the, the whole genome sequencing. And of those, um, we even have intersex individuals. Um, and I, I only mentioned that is because intersex individuals are definitely a group that have been excluded from biomedical research in the past. And part of the problem um, with how people have been ex excluded is they've had nothing to check, right? There's, there's been no counting of people in a meaningful way. So that is really profound. We know that intersex people, for example, um, if you look at population studies represent, let's say about 2% of the population are intersex. And so, you know, we're trying to get those numbers up, but overall, if you look at LGBTQ um, recruitment, 13% of the study population representing 42,000, over 42,000 people, that is just, just phenomenal in terms of, of where we are. Now, I want to put that into the context of something that happened recently that got me really, really excited. In today's gay news, right, I got the, the flag behind me. Um, so I'm not sure, Corey, I'm sure that you've seen this, but folks may not be aware, but the Gallup poll, which is sort of like a, a population sampling poll, um, recently updated their estimates for how many people identify as LGBTQ in the United States. And the new estimate, is about 7%, over 7% of the population identifies as LGBTQ. The last time they did this poll, and this is like statistically sample where they're calling around and they do these kind of like fancy numbers to like really get a sense of this, we're up from 5.6% to now 7.1%. That's profound. So 2020 to what is it, 2022 now, had to look because I keep on losing track of time. We are now at 7.1%. And of course, I think, for sure the world is getting queer and getting more gay, right? Um, but what's also sort of interesting about that is that if you stratify, um, this is more of a, a general comment, 
21% of Generation Z, which is um, the folks that were born from 97 to 2003, 21% identify as LGBTQ. So we're seeing sort of like a, an age thing going on here. Um, why that number is important to me is that, of course, these are not completely comparable proportions, right? Like, so we have seven point, let's say that truly about 7% of the US population is LGBTQ. In the All of Us research study, we've now, you know, that population is being represented as 13% of the people we've recruited so far. So we're doing pretty well at representing that 7-1%. Of course, I would love the entire population or as much of the population as possible to be queer. Um, but I also want the population to be balanced um, and representing both queer people as well as people who aren't queer so that we can do some good research as well to understand um, how queer people might be different and have different needs so that we can better advocate for their health needs through the research. So that was a lot of numbers. Um, I wanna make sure that folks understand that, um, you know, absolute numbers again, for me are not really that important, but what is important is that the, the proportion of people that we've recruited in AOU is unprecedented in the history of research in the United States. And the fact that we are actually asking every person that comes into this research program about their sexual orientation, their gender identity, and their assigned sex at birth is truly unprecedented at scale. Yeah, I mean, when we think about a lot of the studies that, you know, we share here on the podcast, where if we get a couple hundred um, people in the study, you know, on LGBT health, you know, that's exciting, um, because we're so used to seeing, you know, really small studies um, for many years was, was the norm when there wasn't, um, when, you know, there weren't uh, these questions being asked in larger studies. So obviously, the more numbers you can get, the, the more in-depth we can look. And on that subject, you know, our uh, especially you, you mentioned Gen Z and, and having worked a lot with youth myself and done a lot on data collection among youth, it's very hard even for those of us who are professional queers to keep track of every identity um, as people may describe it. So is, you know, uh, is, is the menu option large here for people to choose from when they're, when they're picking out their identities in the, in the study? Yes, the menu option is large. And in fact, um, it's an extended menu option. So um, um, if you enroll in the basic survey for this initial enrollment, you get kind of like some default options and then you get a, an option. I believe it's something, the language is something like none of these describe me and then adequately describe me. And then you get some additional options. And so what you largely see on uh, many studies is more of like a bucketing approach where it's like you just select one and you're in this bucket. Um, and um, all of us actually is doing this differently. As I mentioned, it's like the check all that apply approach, which is I'm going to recognize that people have identities that are not just one bucket and not that simple. Um, of course, we would love things to be simple um, in the world of research and the way that we do things. Um, but I want to mention something, and it's it, it's kind of explaining a little bit of a research concept and something that you mentioned around numbers and like how many people are participating. Ultimately, you know, all, we cannot uh, do research on every person in the U.S. So where does that like 1 million number come from? Or what does any number come from when we do research? It's really you're, you're sampling in hopes that your sample, the number of people that are in there actually are representative of the greater population. And the reason why that's important in health research specifically is you wanna be able to ask a question, get an answer and be able to say, 
those results, that answer that I got is meaningful to helping someone or a group of people and that they're potentially generalizable to that community that I've represented that population well enough such that I can actually generalize those results. They're, they're applicable to, to, to a number of people within that community, not just one. And so it's, this is where it's really, really, really important from a, not just a health equity and representation point of view, but from a good science point of view that as diverse and a great number of people from our communities, especially queer people in the case of AOU, are well represented in terms of the proportion of people that are actually in the study so that we can ask, queer health researchers can ask these questions, get an answer, and confidently generalize those answers to our queer communities. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, Anthony, it's been a really fun um, time with you here on the podcast. You said it's your first podcast. I think you did excellent. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to throw you a softball uh, question as your as your last one. Um, Thank you. As my way of, of thanking you for answering all the tougher questions. And I don't have much of a throwing arm, so it's going to be a really slow softball question. Um, so this is um, this is it. How can LGBTQ folks or anyone else who might be listening to the podcast, such as my mother? She's not queer, but you know, God love her, she tries. Um, how can folks who are listening get involved in this research and participate? Yes, thank you for this question. It's a wonderful question, but I'm gonna say, maybe your mother is a little queer and maybe my mother is a little queer because they pass that queerness to us, right? Generation to generation. And maybe your cats are a little queer because they've lived with you for a while and you've passed something to them. So we're passing things down, right? So I do think that queerness is part of all of us and that queer magic may, have lived in the generations that have gone before us and been passed to us. So I will say that. But to your question, how can LGBTQ individuals get involved in the All of Us Research Program? I would like to invite everyone that's listening and please spread the word. We actually created a, a, a specific landing page for LGBTQ people, and it's a very simple URL. It's joinallofus.org.org slash LGBT. And on that page, you're gonna find specific information that is more relevant to our communities. And quite frankly, you're also gonna find information about the data privacy measures um, that I spoke about today um, that concern our communities, that, have, that our communities have expressed concerns about. And the reason why that's there is because we listened, we did listening sessions and we listened to our communities. Um, and we, we did that through PrideNet and CenturyLink and wonderful organizations that are connected to all of our queer communities across the nation. So please go to joinallofus.org slash LGBT, enroll, read more, educate yourselves, and, um, um, and advocate for this wonderful, wonderful uh, research program. Well, thank you for that um, and for, for being here with us uh, today. And um, I'd also like to thank Kim calling in from Chicago and Evan calling in from Detroit. It's lovely to have you both participate with us as well uh, and, and be part of this conversation. Um, and, and thanks to, to your centers as well as all of the centers who couldn't be here for being part of the initiative. Um, so Anthony, I hope this was um, a good first podcasting experience and maybe we can have you back on again to, to talk with us all. 
I would be happy to. I'm not going to listen to the audio. I, the the part of podcasts that like I just it's it's disturbing thought to me. It's like no one likes the record like the sound of your voice recorded. And you know, like a while ago, we've all in the global pandemic have done all these Zoom meetings. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is a feature within Zoom that they added called "Touch Up My Appearance," and it used to be an on-off button. And at some point, someone at Zoom had the bright idea to make it a slider. <laughs> So, so quite frankly, we're, we all can get our like virtual Botox, you know, throughout the day until the end of the day, when you're standing in front of the, uh, the uh, mirror, brushing your teeth, you're like, wow, I've like aged a lot, like in the past, like 15 minutes, like what happened, right? So I think for podcasts, what I was thinking is like, I, I wish they would have like touch up my voice, like, <laughs> like oh, yeah. make my voice like perfect and dulcet and wonderful and Yes, I, I think I need that feature. So I'm, I'm, I can't say that I want to listen to the podcast immediately because <laughs> I, I, I already find this like very disturbing to think about it. But it has been a very positive experience. And I think the most positive experience is to receive questions via an amazing organization like CenturyLink that truly is connecting um, queer people and queer communities across the nation and to hear directly from Evan and Kim in terms of your questions that are absolutely the types of questions that we want to receive as, as a health researchers and the questions that quite frankly you should be also making sure that your lawmakers are aware of as well so thank you so much you all for allowing me to participate today Well, I'm going to pile on with the thanks here, and I'm going to thank those of you who are listening and who have been following this three-part series. Uh, this, um, sadly, is the end of our of our three-part interview with Anthony. Don't forget that you can go to joinallofus.org if you want to learn more about the initiative, either as a researcher um, who may be able to use this data to do to do some interesting studies of your own, or as just a, a person who's interested in participating and contributing um, to this you know, big endeavor to learn more about our health. So again, thanks for listening. Go to joinallofus.org for more info. And I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast uh, if you aren't already so that you can hear our, our regular weekly LGBTQ health um, updates. They're not quite as much fun as this interview was, um, but we do try to keep it interesting. So please follow the podcast if you're not already.